Hey everybody, this is Nate Smoyer, and you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around. You're in the right place. All right, we got a really fun episode coming at you today. This is a company I've been following for a little while now because I think they're solving a problem that the market really is asking for. We got Omri Dor. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Obligo. And it is a really simple concept. They want to allow people to move into apartments and rental units without having to pay upfront a big deposit. Now, this doesn't mean that no one's covering the risk or no one's paying the deposit, but they've got their own way of handling that. And so I think it's awesome. I think it's cool. There's a few ways of handling this model, but they have found their own unique way of handling it using some some banking technology. And I think it's pretty cool. So sit around, listen in, enjoy the show. Well, hey, Omri, welcome to the show. Hey, Nate, how you doing? Man, I am, I'm doing great. I had a little travel this week. I'm finally back home. It's snow on the ground. It was kind of weird being somewhere earlier where I could be outside in a t-shirt. So it's, but it's good to be home. I'm sure snow though, you're in New York. I can't talk to you about snow. It did snow. It did snow recently. I think there may be still some snow on the floor outside. I'm going to check later. So hey, (laughs) make it back in time for uh, Valentine's. What are your plans tonight? Well, we're doing this. We're doing this right now. I've got a few client calls. Actually, I'm, my wife and I are going to go to a pop-up shop where some local artists in the area are selling some things at a local brewery. You know, shop local is big here, so we part we participate in that a little bit. But that's about all I've got planned. Quite a bit of client work to catch up on. <laughs> that's okay. pretty good. Well, let's let's try to keep this podcast as romantic as possible. I'll try to be <laughs> a gentleman and uh, as much as I can. And this is officially my favorite start to a podcast yet. People may not know who you are yet. So let's start there. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Why don't everyone know who you are and what you do? Yeah. Okay. So hi, everyone. Nate, thanks for having me here. I'm Omri Dor. That's my name. It's a little weird. First name, Omri. I am from Tel Aviv. And I spent most of my life as an engineer for companies like Google and Facebook. Last year, my life kind of flipped upside down. I co-founded this company called Obligo, of which I am CEO. And I also moved from Tel Aviv to uh, New York City. So uh, it's been a very exciting year, 2018. And 2019, I'm sure, is going to be even better. So let's let's jump right into it. We'll get to the meat. You run a company called Obligo. What is the big problem you're trying to solve? Well, the big problem is familiar to probably everyone listening. I'm looking to solve one of the most burdensome aspects of renting an apartment, and that is the notorious security deposit. And so how are you guys doing that? You're just getting, getting rid of it and telling landlords that it's, you know, hey, you don't need to even collect this. It's not worth it. Well, that's a great question because the security deposits has really a couple of functions. And the obvious one is, of course, that the landlord needs a source of funds in case there's any damages or missed rent. So he needs to be able to cover himself. But actually, the other need for the security deposit is to underwrite the tenant. So it is a form of tenant screening in a way, right? You want to see that the tenant is even able to afford the deposit. Mm-hmm. And and the third reason why you would want to have a deposit is to make sure that the tenant is accountable. So it is mm-hmm. insufficient that the landlord wouldn't be covered for damages. It's also very important that these payment for damages come out of the renter's pocket, because only this way uh, do you have sort of a balanced ecosystem where 
the renter remains accountable for the apartment, takes care of the apartment, et cetera. I think this is very interesting. The word obligo, you know, and I, I shared with you, I had to I had to watch one of the videos to make sure I knew I was saying it correctly here. But then again, English is not, it's my first language, but it's by no, by no means I have I mastered it. But, you know, so maybe you could share a little bit. What's the story behind the name? Why, why that? And then how does that relate to what you guys are doing? Well, great question. So in Israel, in Tel Aviv, in the world of finance, people sometimes use the word obligo to mean basically the sum of one's liabilities. So when you say that someone has a large obligo, you mean that they have a large commitment that they need to meet. And so we thought that this was an interesting concept because what we're saying is that the renter has an obligo. So the renter has a commitment to pay. He doesn't need to pay yet for the deposit, because as you guys understand, Obligo is a deposit-free solution. But we wanted to create the sense of obligation, that the tenant is still accountable and that the tenant is still required to pay for any damages or lost rent. And so the word Obligo in Hebrew sort of matched that sort of matched that spirit. What we later found, and this was a shock to us, was that this word is unused in any other place on earth almost. So hmm. people in Israel, in the banking industry, for instance, would recognize this word. But in the United States, no one knows what it means. And we felt, well, great, this is a new word. We're going to pour new meaning into it. And that's why we named the company Obligo. The other reason why we love this word is if anyone uh, listening has a pen and paper or just a keyboard, you can probably typing that word and just see how gorgeous it is. It is so symmetric. It is amazing. <laughs> two O's on both sides, so two circles. Oh, yeah, I've seen so it now. Okay. Sides inwards, there's a B and a G, which is sort of mirrored, right? It's it sort of flipped. It's like there's a mirror in the middle of the word. So we felt it was a, just a beautiful, highly symmetric word. And we said, this is it. This is what we want. So you guys aren't just nerdy finance guys. You have an eye for aesthetics. <laughs> okay, so let's 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 play a scenario here. Okay, you're the landlord. I'm the tenant, right? I say, Amory, I, I love this penthouse. It's only ten grand a month. I don't know what the rent prices are. What do I need to rent the place? Like, how much deposit do I have to put down? How does that work? Like, what's the process there? What's that look like? Well, it's super simple. I'm going to send you a link to Obligo. And in that link, you're going to follow a very simple process. And then you're going to see two options right in front of you. There's going to be two buttons. One button is to pay a standard security deposit. So you can do that through the Obligo platform. We process uh, move-in payments, such as a security deposit or the first month of rent. So, so it's very simple for you to, to just pay a normal deposit. And for me as a landlord, it's very easy to accept a deposit this way. So once again, you get this link, you follow the link, you see two options. One of the options is to pay a normal deposit. The second option is to give me, the landlord, what we call a billing authorization. What's happening here is that you are pre-authorizing me as your landlord to charge you up to a certain amount, which is the same as the deposit. So me as a landlord, at the end of the tenancy, I'm going to be able to charge you. Let's say that the deposit size would have been $2,000. I would now have the authority to charge you for up to $2,000. But now you don't need to pay in advance. You only pay for damages if you cause damages. So this is the basic system. And for this, we need to add a couple more layers. The first layer is me as a landlord. I need to be guaranteed. I need to know that money is going to be there mm -hmm. if you are, are bankrupt. And so Obligo is a third party. What we do is we always pay the landlord up front and then we collect 
the payment from the tenant in installments, and we also defer the first payment. This is essentially like a loan or like a credit card, where if you're buying something with Visa, Visa is going to pay the merchant. So now, you're taking on the risk. You take on the risk. We're taking on the risk. We are taking on the wow. risk. Now, in addition to that, it is very, because we are taking this risk, it is very important for us to, to underwrite both sides of the equation. So when we start working with the landlord, the first thing that we are going to do is we're going to actually test the landlord to make sure hmm. that this is not, pardon my French, that this is not a slumlord or this is not a landlord who is notorious for overclaiming or treating their tenants badly, et cetera. So we want to make sure we are working with the, with the high. The last thing you would want is someone who can abuse this, who says, so you yeah. sign this form, we're good to go. Maybe, you know, kind of clouds what they're signing on the, on the link or something, you know, tells them it's something that's not, and then just goes ahead and charges somebody for stuff that's not true. You can't just charge two grand for vacuuming some carpet. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Now on the renter side, on the tenant side, we do something similar and we do this very carefully. So we need to underwrite the tenant to make sure essentially that they're good for it. Mm -hmm. with the most modern technology available. We do this with technology called open banking. What open banking allows us to do, and this is brand new. This is this is technology that was not available, you know, just a couple of years ago. It was not it was not very easy to do this at all. Right. But what we were able to do is basically connect to the tenant's bank account and actually see what the balance is and what the balance history is. And so we would want to know that there is sufficient funds in this account that the tenant obviously has sufficient income, and we mm -hmm. would do this process to basically make sure that the tenant is good for it. What we also do is we actually take more than one billing method many times. So most renters would well, need I to- can't just give you an old credit card. Yes, exactly. Because obviously there is a risk that this card would expire or that there, or, or you know, that, that you would cancel the card, et cetera. So we try to, to create this, uh, this ecosystem where we tell you, mm -hmm. listen, we, we need to have a few billing methods for redundancy. We're going to do the pre-authorization on all of them. However, because we are standing in the middle, we make sure that A, the landlord does not have any access to your, to your private data or any access directly to any of these billing methods. And mm -hmm. of course, we enforce this cap so the landlord can't charge whatever they want. The third thing that we do, which is very important, is again, we allow the tenant, if there is a charge at the end, we're not going to charge the tenant right away. We're going to leave some time. Mm -hmm. And then we're also going to split the payment into installments interest-free. And the reason we do that is, is A, to make sure that the tenant gets the best experience, and B, we understand that the tenant needs to have a fair chance to dispute the landlord's claims. So if mm -hmm. there is any dispute, we want to make sure we allow, uh, we allow time for the tenant to do so. So this is a similar process that you would go through if it was an insurance claim, but this is one of the fundamental differences between your platform and others' platforms. You know, there's a few similar services out there, right? But they, they operate on the insurance model. Yes, exactly. So the insure, so the concept of replacing security deposits is not a new concept. Everybody recognizes that deposits are very inefficient in the sense that it is a lot of money lying around, not making any interest, and it's lying there to protect against the relatively minuscule risk. So insurance companies have recognized this a long time ago. And in fact, there's, I think, about a dozen of them operating in the United States offering security deposit replacement products or insurance policies. It generally does a great product, but it does have some issues. And the main problem that they've had is really that they have been 
unable to successfully underwrite the tenants, and they've been especially unable to successfully collect from tenants. Oh. And, and, and this has led to these insurance policies being quite pricey. So they are losing money, right? There's a lot of claims against the policies, so the policies are losing money. So the price of these policies has become very high. Hmm. Everybody in the market today is offering these insurance policies for 17% of the size of the deposit. That's uh, you know that's about 12 competitors, 12 companies in this space, and all of them like, are... Like 17% a month or one-time payment, 17%? So it differs a little bit, but usually it's 17% upfront. And okay. then possibly a yearly renewal, which is sometimes small. Now, 17% is actually very expensive. So, you know, my advice to most renters would be, you know, I, you know, never mind advice. I just look at myself. Would I pay 17% Sure. for this product? That's the question. And you know what? I would not because, A, I can afford to pay the deposit. And even if I didn't have the money right now, it would be cheaper for me to actually take a loan to pay the deposit. And that loan would cost me less yeah. This seventeen percent. So it seems like like insurance has been unable to sort of make things more efficient in that regard. So hmm. you know, if it's better for me to take a loan, then we haven't really solved the underlying inefficiency. And again, this all ties back to technology. Like if you can recognize who are the tenants that are good for it, then the equation is very simple. If you're good for it, I don't. We don't need your deposit. We know you're a good tenant, and if you're going to break something, you're going to pay for it because you're a good guy. And if you don't have the ability to 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 do this underwriting. And if you don't have the ability to collect reliably, which is what we're doing again with the open banking and the, the multiple billing methods, then you're going to end up with, with a very expensive product. And then, of course, the only renters who are going to take it are renters with affordability issues. And, and again, I want to stress, these are great, great products. There's nothing wrong with these products. Sure. You cater to a, to a specific segment of renters, and it's usually the lower, sort of lower income or people who are perhaps struggling to afford the deposit. And for these guys, yeah. this is a great choice. There's nothing wrong with taking that choice. But if you're trying to find a solution for the entire ecosystem, and if you want to replace deposits outright, all of them, then you got to find a solution which is making things more efficient and not less efficient. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I think about this because a lot of my friends are at that point where they're trying to buy homes or they're really talking about, you know, the next year or two, they want to buy a home. And so I'm thinking like, okay, well, the transition is typically pretty, pretty much the same all the time, right? You're renting and then you need to go buy a home. But, you know, in our town, I mean, if you're renting a three-bedroom house, you could have a deposit anywhere between... $1,800 and $2,400. Yeah. So, you know, if you can line up your rent perfectly, you know, to the, the your, your, you get one extra day to, to move into your new house. But I mean, that doesn't happen often. So you're talking about, you, you have to come up with an extra two, you know, two grand or so for your down payment, closing costs, all that kind of thing. Whereas what you're proposing here is, hey, if you rent it from a landlord who doesn't require your down payment or, or deposit, then you could have that cash and you're that much closer to, buying a home, new car, paying off your student debt, investing it, you know, those, all those types of things. You see that there's better uses of that money rather than sitting stale. Exactly. There, there's better uses for the money. Yeah, you know, today there's a lot of investment apps like Stash or Acorns or Robinhood. And, mm -hmm. you know, with the money that you release from your deposit, if you put that money into one of these apps, you're probably going to make more return than what you're paying for the obligable service. Do you, do you have a favorite? You have a favorite app? I no, we I love all of them. I think they're all great apps. I think they're great. 
The one thing that I would add is that it is actually not only about the time value of money or the alternative usage of the money. It's also about the pain and the friction. Yeah. Because, because first of all, uh, you know, at the end of the tenancy, a lot of times as a renter, you're going to have to wait to get your deposit back. And this usually strikes you at up the worst to, time, right? Up to two weeks. Up to two weeks, I wish. It can take months sometimes. And, you know, and during that time, this is usually the worst time, right? As you're moving, right? As you're moving to a new apartment, or as you mentioned, when you're trying to buy a home or you need to get furniture for your new apartment. So this strikes you at the worst time. Yeah. And and people don't like waiting for the deposit and this sort of eliminates that. And in fact, if you go and read online reviews and if you do sort of exit polls, so you ask tenants after they've completed the rental experience, you ask them, you know, what was the most painful part of the, of the experience? from our surveys at least, there's two things at the top of the list. One of them is maintenance issues. If there were maintenance uh-huh. issues, that was the most painful thing. And right there are, and, and immediately following, waiting to get my deposit back. It's like the yeah. most commonly reported kind of issue. So, so definitely there's a lot of pain associated with them. But let me maybe surprise our listeners a little bit. Well, you know what most listeners would know because most listeners are probably real estate professionals. The mm-hmm. tenant pain associated with the security deposit is very important. It's very important that we eliminate that pain. But the landlord and the property manager and the leasing professional, they suffer greatly from handling these deposits. This is this is the worst kind of hassle and operational overhead that you can imagine. Now, this obviously varies state by state, but I'm going to give the New York example. Here, first of all, you know, most landlords would only accept deposits in the form of a cashier's check because, you know, if you want to accept this electronically, then there's a chargeback risk. And of course, there's high processing fees, et cetera. So, so it's only paper checks. And then you've got to take these alongside with W-9 form. And the reason is, is that the leasing professional is going to take these forms to the management company. And the management company is going to take these forms to the bank. And in the bank, some poor soul is going to be punching the social security numbers of all the renters, OFAC screening and AML checks and anti-money laundering and things like that because they need to open individual bank accounts for every tenant. So funds must not commingle with the landlord funds, but also not with the different tenant funds. And so now they have bank accounts. Now, if that's insufficient, you got to pay interest for this money. And this is usually laughable. So I personally recently received two letters in the mail. The first one was a check for five cents. And the second letter <laughs> from my landlord was a 1099 form because <laughs> you need to report this, this tremendous income of five cents. That shit has to be reported to the IRS. Did right you now. actually report it? So I won't ask you that. You're on the record, but I will go on the record. The IRS, I will never, ever, ever report that income. Come at me, bro. Yeah, yeah. So so, so this has become really <laughs> ridiculous and and... And so what we find is that two trends are happening. I'm going to say three trends are happening at the same time. And and I think they are what make, these are the trends that make this space really interesting. The first trend is due to increasing, ever increasing regulation on how security deposits need to be handled. And I think these these are very important regulations. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I started talking about this before we started the show. I mean, because, and this is, I think this is, I mean, this is one of the reasons I think, you know, that led me to, you know, finding you guys. I forget how I found you. It was probably on like someone was talking about, you know, it might have been Cree Tech, honestly, a Cree Tech email. And, but Washington right now is looking at 
instituting policies that require landlords to take a payment plan and absorb the risk on the front end for the deposit. Yeah, yeah. I heard about these regulations and these propositions and, and similar things are happening in New York. And, you know, I don't want to discuss whether these are good or bad. I think generally it's very important to protect tenant rights. And, and you know, generally the tenants are, are, are you know, on, on average, they are going to be the kind of weaker side in the equation. So I do right. think that, that they need protection in various forms. But even before these regulations, in the last few decades, there's been even simpler regulations that make perfect sense. For instance, the landlord should not use the tenant's money for things like cash flow or to make repairs. They need to keep that in a segregate account, right? So these type of regulations have been amassing over the years. And and as you mentioned, there's even more regulation now. And every time a new regulation passes, it becomes more and more painful for the landlord to handle the deposit. And it becomes less enticing to even hold the deposit. So it turned from an asset into a sort of liability. That's the first kind of trend that's happening. The second trend, I would say, is that tenants are becoming a lot more savvy and they care about things like their experience and the service that they get. So the, the first of all, the age group of renters, right? In the, in the past, uh, you know, you rented an apartment and then when you could afford it, you would buy a house, you would buy a home. Today, people choose to rent until a much later age, and this is no longer, you know, and, and, and people can rent to a very old age, and this is not due to lack of choice. This is because they prefer to rent. They like the flexibility. They move around. They're professionals. They move from city to city or from country to country. Yeah. So these, this new generation of tenants is a lot more savvy. You know, they, they, they check online reviews and they, they compare amenity packages and they want to make sure they get the best deal. And so, and so we have sort of higher quality renters. And at the same time, they look for things like technology and amenities. So they yeah. don't want to pay with paper checks and they're looking for amenities. And, you know, a gym is a great amenity and a rooftop deck is a great amenity. But having a deposit-free property is also a great amenity. And, and one might say that this is comparable to, to you know, letting go of a, of a month of rent. It's almost like a rent concession. And so when these yep. tenants make the comparison, they're going to recognize this as an amenity. And I think that's another thing that sort of pushes this concept to, to, to maybe the front of the agenda. Yep. And, and again, the last trend is the technology trend. So all the changes that have happened in payment technology and in, and in the ability to do underwriting with things like machine learning and AI, yeah, like open banking technology and the access to this financial data that before it was almost impossible to get. Or you would do things like ask the person for a bank statement and they would print out a PDF and they would send it to you. And, you know, how do you process that? So everything was so slow and inefficient that mm-hmm. the act of underwriting was, was very laborious and expensive and took too long. Today, you can do that instantly. And, and I think these three trends are what make are the things that make Obligo a compelling proposition today rather than, let's say, five years ago or 10 years ago. So that gets me really excited. I love it, man. And I love the passion. I want to talk a little more specific on who is using it. So, you know, you're, you're really kind of a two-sided marketplace to some degree. I mean, maybe not a marketplace, but you're serving two sides, both tenants and, and landlords. And you're providing, obviously, a, a, a pretty high value service here. Can you talk me through, though, what type of landlords are you working with? Are you are you guys pursuing after large multifamily skyscrapers or are you uh, also able to work with single family homes? So that's a great question. So first of all, we think Obligo is relevant to all landlords. I can tell you that the place where we're seeing the most traction is on the more, I'm going to say, luxury multifamily and new developments. And this is simply because this is today the most competitive sector of, of mm. the rental market. 
And as I mentioned before, these renters are very savvy. They compare things like humanity packages and they compare you know, rent concessions and all that good stuff. And so in this kind of environment, again, if you have a deposit-free property, then, then the tenant is going to choose your building over the building, which requires yeah. So this is, I think, where we have currently the most traction. And that's also where we see landlords actually paying for the service. So this is not something I mentioned, but the, the service obviously costs a fee. And this fee can be either paid by the renter when they choose to give a billing authorization, right? The, the deposit free option, or in some buildings, it's actually the landlord that's paying. And the benefit that they see, again, the landlords is that A, they have a deposit free operation now. So they don't have the paper checks and they don't have the W9 forms and all that stuff is gone. And at the same time, they get a more appealing building. So, so it's more competitive. So this is, again, more for the new developments and the more luxury end. If you look at the broader market, you know, I, I think about half of our buildings are OP, owner pays. And in about half of our buildings, uh, it is the renter that pays the fee. And again, I want to I wanna make sure everyone understands if you use Obligo in your multifamily building or in your single family home uh, management company, then all of your renters are going to be able to go to the same link, right? The link for your building or the link for so your... So it's only one link per, per building or per property manager, not one link per property or unit. It's what it's whatever it's whatever our, our client prefers. But the point I'm trying to make is that all of your potential tenants can go through the same link, even if they want to pay a normal deposit. So this really streamlines the operation for your leasing team and for your accounting team, because the deposit payments, the normal deposit payments are also going to be processed by Obligo. And this is something we do for free. And you're going to get the consolidated reporting and it plugs into wow. your ERD or MRI. So you really see sort of a more streamlined process there. Um, wow. And in that case, the tenant is going to see, again, the two buttons, the two options. They can pay a normal deposit. There is nothing wrong with that. Or if they yep. choose, they can give the billing authorization and we would charge them a fee for that. That's, and, that's awesome. And, yeah. And I would add, by the way, that 70% of renters choose our option. So when it's the paid option, 70% of renters take it. And this is true for luxury, multifamily, new developments. So these are higher costs to begin with. Yeah, yeah. So so rents of four thousand and above in New York, maybe someone, you know, some cynics not even cynics, even even I was wondering before we launched, you know, what about people who have a lot of money? Are they gonna feel that they shouldn't pay the fee because they prefer to pay the deposit? And what we found is that even in our most in our highest end buildings, seventy percent of renters prefer to give the billing authorization. And I'm going to guess it's just because, you know, it's fric it's frictionless and it's easy. And, you know, everyone hates deposits. That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is true. I mean, I, my landlord, they told me about a digital service and I was like, hey, you, you got to sign up for this. I don't do checks. I'll do money orders. I'm definitely not giving you cash. And I was like, and then it'll pull money out of my account and give it to you for free. And, you know, let's just do that so I don't have to worry about it. And, as soon as I told her it was free, it didn't cost her any money. She was like, okay, that's fine. But I mean, because I don't want the hassle of it. I want that taken care of. I shouldn't have to spend time. You know, that's how I look at it. Like writing a check. I don't know what this check thing is anymore. I'm I'm all, I'm done and past that. So let's keep moving here. So I know you're in New York, but what other markets are you guys serving right now? So we are focused in New York, but we are already operational in, in several other states. Right now, it's sort of on an experimental basis, I would say, because our main focus is still New York. And there is some, you know, compliance and regulation issues to resolve. So we need to be uh, licensed in some states to operate yeah. because this is sort of a, a financial service in a sense. But we are live in, in, in a couple of other states. And mm -hmm. you, know, you asked before if we work with single home, single family home managers. And in fact, we do. Yes, we have a couple thousand units of uh, single family home managers. And so far, it's wow. been great. 
Yeah. That's very cool. Small company, I should, I should, I should mention, you know, how many people? It's big. Not that many. We got about, I think now we're at about 6,000 units overall. You know, we only launched in June. So obviously it's very, it's very early. Wow. What's been driving that growth? What's been driving that growth? I'm going to say, I'm going to give you a, a sort of a founder answer or CEO answer. I think it's product. The product market. is just driving growth. <laughs> yeah, product market fit. People hate deposits. That's what's driving uh, the growth. Is it, is it word, word of mouth? I think it's more hustle. Definitely in, in New York, it's a very kind of relationship-based market. So, you know, you got to make yourself known and seen and you got to go to the conferences and you got to uh, you got to do podcasts obviously shout out and, uh, <laughs> right. yeah but there but there's also some word of mouth yeah for sure we we've been getting more and more inbounds on our website for sure every day there's a every day the traffic increases so. do you have landlords asking for your service or do you have tenants asking how they can do that how they can move into some place without a deposit like a pull so through what, what i just referred to was landlord traffic. So, okay. so landlords and real estate professionals who are asking about the service. We also have, you know, tenant traffic. And as you can imagine, it's a lot larger, but currently we are, you know, we consider that we consider the landlords to be our, our sort of prime client because first and foremost, we, we want to serve the landlord, make sure they get a great service, that they are sort of protected and backstopped. And we want to make sure that their operation becomes more streamlined and not less streamlined, which is also something that perhaps had been a problem with some of the previous attempts at solving this with insurance, et cetera. So yeah, we work with line, with uh, landlords first and foremost. And then, you know, it's a sort of B2B to C model. We offer it to the landlords and then they can offer this to, to their tenants. Got it. I'd love to, to hear a little bit more about, so, I mean, you've only been up and running since June. You've had explosive growth. That's how I would describe it. I mean, I'm not sure how you guys, but I would say I it's- would, I, would, I really wouldn't. I really wouldn't. So, no? Okay. Beginning. No, no. Very modest beginnings. <laughs> <laughs> but you, so you had some really good growth though. You really have. All right. So one thing I, I haven't done a, a ton of research into this, but you know, at first I, I did an overview video of you guys. You know, I think that's how we got connected truly. And you know, I, one of the things I always do is I go to people's crunch base pages and I just want to see what the activity is. You guys have raised a little bit of money to get up and off the ground. And that was not that long ago, only 2017, right? Yes. Okay. And you've done two rounds? No. So we've done, so, so here's what we've done. It's, it's a little confusing, but we raised, this is public, so I don't mind sharing. We raised $3 million in equity in the beginning of last year. And in addition, okay. we have a $2 million credit facility or essentially $2 million debt. And we use that, whoever is in, in sort of financially attuned is going to realize that we're using this debt to basically backstop our operation and make sure that the landlords are protected and that there's sufficient solvency to pay out any sort of charge from a billing authorization. Got it. Now, I, I think that I'm, I've been looking at a lot of different companies and I would say that it doesn't seem to me that this is, obviously, you know, I, don't, I didn't read about this on TechCrunch and maybe they reported on it. I don't know. But we see a ton of money pouring into the real estate tech scene right now. And I have, I, I, I kind of glanced at Cretex overview of the Cretex, you know, VC landscape, and I didn't see a whole lot in the residential and, you know, prop tech kind of is its own thing and combined in there. So I don't know what it was, but I know it was in the billions last year. Why do you, why do you think so much is being poured into the real estate tech side or, or the tech side of real estate and, and why now? That's a great question. I think, you know, the main reason that we need to, you know, if we're modest about it, we need to understand just what's happening in the market, right? So we're obviously at a, at a sort of long boom cycle and this influences any type of, of fund, right? Whether it's a real estate fund or a venture capital fund, 
everyone's sort of feeling that there's sort of more money out there. And yes, there an end result. There's simply more investments happening and they tend to be larger. So if you look at the trend, uh, this is, by the way, advice to any entrepreneur out there, not necessarily in, in, in prop tech or you know, CRE tech. But yeah, generally there's there's more money around and, and that, among other things, means that there's more funding specifically in real estate technology. So that's one reason. The other reason, which is, I think, more compelling, again, has to do with what I've talked about before with sort of the generational shift in, I'm going to say, in, in two sides of the equation. One of them is, is the renters themselves. As I mentioned, today, renting is a choice. People choose to rent because they like the flexibility, right. they want to move around. So we have much more technologically savvy and much more selective renters who are looking for great service and technology and amenities. Right. At the same time, there's a generation shift within the landlord and, and, and property management organizations. So you have newer, you have, uh, you know, today it's not uncommon for a management company or, or a landlord organization to have a CTO or a CIO or for there to be engineers. There. Yeah. So think a lot more sort of energy and oomph from real estate professionals who are actively seeking to incorporate technology into their operations. And you see, you know, some younger some younger property management companies who are sometimes even venture-backed and they are all about technology and they're all about fantastic service. Common is a great one here in New York. Uh, there are partners and they're doing a phenomenal job. And I think this is what we're going we're gonna to keep seeing. We're going to keep seeing, you know, fresh blood. We're going to both see new companies, new landlords and new management companies. And we're also going to see sort of fresh blood and maybe just a fresh perspective inside the management companies and landlords and the and the leasing professionals, and they're just seeking out more technology. They're seeking out ways to streamline their operation. And so this demand is being met by more and more tech companies, and these tech mm-hmm. companies need to get funding. So I think this is what's happening. Astute analysis is how I would describe that. <laughs> I love it. I appreciate it. That's actually can be broadly applied. And I'm excited. I, I think that, you know, I can't wait for you guys to get on the West Coast here. You mentioned, you know, kind of the long tail of a boom. And that to me was a trigger word to move into some of our closing segments. But before we get into that, I know we talked about quite a few things in a little bit abroad and into the market, but also want to open up, you know, is there anything that maybe we didn't touch on about Obligo that you feel is really important that you'd like to share with those who are listening? Yeah, I think there's just two maybe points that I would like to kind of repeat. And and one of them is that Obligo is based on new technology and it is a it is a more efficient and far cheaper product than than whatever some of the listeners may have heard about before. So I think it takes a, you know, I think they should take a look, even if they considered sort of a deposit replacement before, just to sort of understand what the difference is. The other thing I would want to say is that I think deposits are going away, period. And and I don't, you know, I envision Obligo as a replacement, as basically the new standard to replace all security deposits. Mm. And this is very important because people have this kind of stigma where a deposit replacement is something that's geared towards tenants who can't afford deposits. I don't think this right. is okay. I think everyone hates deposits and deposits need to go away. And I think the last point I would like to repeat is that, you know, Obligo as a platform, because we try to streamline the experience for, for our partners, then we also handle payment of things like normal deposits and the first month month's rent so that all the tenants can go through the same experience. Even if they want to pay a cash deposit, they can do so through our online process and we process these payments for free and then everything's reported in a consolidated way into your Yardi or MRI or whatever accounting software you're using. So this is really sort of a move-in a move-in payment solution, which is, yes, it's focused around the deposit replacement, 
but it generally makes your operations a lot easier regardless. So I would like to repeat that. And I have. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Well, hey, we're going to keep on moving here. We're going to jump into my favorite segment. We call it For the Future. For the Future is where I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Amri, are you ready to play? Yes. Nate, let's do it. All right. Question number one, what does Abelgo look like one year from now? 20 times bigger. So that's 120,000 deposit-free living units. Let's let's make 100,000 to be to be on the safe side. Okay. And on the round side. I was trying to do some math in my head. I, yeah, maybe I did. That's, that's quick thinking. You were thinking on, on your feet there. I like that. <laughs> Question number two, what does the housing market look like one year from now? Uh, so that is, that is a prediction that I'm a bit reluctant to make because I think the world is full of, of people who make predictions who have turned out to be false. In a sense, it's almost safer to always make the worst prediction because if it doesn't come true, then no one's going to remember you made it. And if it doesn't, right. you can always say, aha, you see that one time in, in February 2019, I said that this was going to happen. I think it's very hard to predict. You know, we were talking before, you know, about this, you know, boom or bust cycle, et cetera. And, uh, you know, it's true that it's been a long boom cycle, but I think, you know, things can just slow down. And I sort of feel that they're slowing down a little bit in New York. And so things don't have to crash. They just need to slow down for a little bit. So I wouldn't say that things are crashing or about to crash or anything like that. I think everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Well, that leads us right into question number three, which is when will the next big boom or bust happen in real estate? I'm going to say 30 days from now. Exactly. Is that is that because Amazon has pulled out of New York City? Oh, yeah, I heard of that. That's crazy. Yeah, man. That is... That, that, that is you know, because people are going to listen to this after we record it, obviously. So we're dating this episode somewhat. But, you know, that was just announced really, what, last night? I think there was some leaks of that happening. So big deal. It's like breaking up. It's like breaking up with your girlfriend on Valentine's, which... It's oh, sure. Cool. <laughs> That's what the Atlantic wrote. <laughs> Not cool, Amazon. I think Amazon should probably order some flowers, ideally from um, you know AliExpress, and send them over to to New York, whoever that is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, I'll let you off on that one. We'll get to the fourth and final for the future. What's one thing you believe will change or dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of technological advances? So my first answer is, of course, that there's not going to be deposits anymore. But of yeah. course, that's a, little, that's a little too easy. So first, I think there's not going to be any deposits. That's, that's trivial. But I also think we will find that things are just going to be more online. I know it's trivial, but real estate is still one of those places where there's a lot of paper pushing, a lot of paper checks. And I think that this transition will finally be complete in the coming years. And a part of it is the commoditization of things like payment processing and online payments. So today it's, it's easier than ever to, to offer those and to accept those. So I think the pay, paper is going away. Paper checks are going away, definitely. And also security deposits, definitely going away. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And I think that's a great idea. And, and the minute I can institute that in my rental here in, in Washington, we're going we're gonna to get that one done. All right, I got three last questions for you here, Omri. These are more about you, so our listeners get to know you a little bit more. We already know you're pretty funny. I think you've got a pretty good sense of humor, actually. <laughs> and I, w- I was nervous because you joked about turning this around as an interview on me, and I really thought you were going to do that to me, but I might have escaped. All right, question number one. What are you reading? Ah, 
So I've actually, I'm a newcomer to podcasts. So I've just started listening to podcasts and I'm listening to Masters of Scale. Everyone listening must be laughing their ass off because this is sort of, everyone listens to that or everyone in tech should have been listening to that. But I'm going ahead now because I've actually never heard of it. Okay, so Masters of Scale is a great podcast for entrepreneurs. Yeah, it's a great podcast. Masters of Scale. So you, you read podcasts. <laughs> so I've, I've only started going into podcasts recently, but it's kind of nice because you, you, you can listen to it on the train. And yeah. Yeah. My all-time uh, favorite, if anyone cares, is, is The Selfish Gene, if we have to have a physical book. The Selfish Gene. Yeah, Richard Dawkins. All right. And I'll have to add it to my list. Okay, question number two. Who are you learning from? I am learning from my older brother. My older brother, Roy, is also my co-founder. He's the president of Obligo. He is an amazing entrepreneur and businessman. He's been doing a lot of business before Obligo. And for me, this is my first venture into the world of business at large. So I was only, I was doing tech before and I was an engineer and I was writing software, but I've never done things like business or design or PR or anything like that. And my brother, Roy, he's, he's a master and he teaches me so much. He also just had his third daughter born two days ago. So wow. Roy. Send us yeah. some congrats. <laughs> yeah, I'm learning a ton from him every day. That's awesome. Good on you. All right, question number three. What inspires you or what helps keep you inspired? Uh, you know, I'm going to give a, a weird answer because in the beginning of this year, I started working out in the morning. And it's a weird thing to say that, that that's inspiring. But the reason why I started doing that is because I found that my evenings are out of control. I never know if there's going to be a meeting or a meeting for drinks or all that mm. business activity. So I found that I was unable to do any sports. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do sports before I wake up. And eh, not before I wake up, but right after I wake up, before I start the day. And I've been working out every day since, since the beginning of this year. And I, I know it's funny to say that, but it has sort of inspired me. Huh. Because I just feel better and more relaxed and I have happier thoughts throughout the day. Yeah. So if it's a thing that inspires me, that's that's the thing. I'm, that's I'm awesome. inspired by by being active and, and 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 doing stuff. That's awesome. This has been awesome, man. I appreciate you taking aside the time. I know it's a little bit later. Your end uh, of the world here. It's it's past the uh, happy hour on your side. So, but yeah. I really do appreciate your time breaking down Obligo for everyone. I think what you guys are doing is important, and I can't wait for you to get to Washington. Before we head out, though, for those who are listening, if they want to reach out to you or get in touch with you, or they're interested in checking out Obligo, where do they go and how do they do that? Well, it's very simple. You guys can go to myobligo.com or you can email me directly at omri, that's O-M-R-I, at myobligo.com. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from your listeners, man. Yeah, we'll, ha- we'll have that in the show notes below, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Most people actually listen to it on our website, believe it or not. They go right to the player. And then the other half, like the other biggest chunk is iTunes. And then it's like a long tail of all the others. But wherever you're listening to this, details in the notes below. Omri, thanks so much. Uh, I can't wait for us to get a chance to hang out. Maybe I'll see you at one of these events. If, are you going to Cretech LA? Uh, maybe I should. Maybe that. I don't know. I'll, I'll probably be there this year. But anyway, it's been great, and I'll catch up with you next time. Thanks, Nate. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. You, the man. Talk to you later. <laughs> See you. Bye. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. Hey, don't forget you can get on the email list. So you never miss an upcoming episode. That's technest.io. That's T E C H N E S T dot I O. Get on the email list. Uh, go to the App Store, whether you found us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you found us. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. 
And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend, or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.